Set a spark to your integrated business and marketing strategies with America's top entrepreneurs and business leaders here at Integrate and Ignite with your host, Lori Jones. Welcome to the Integrate and Ignite podcast. Brandon Fuller is a software engineer with an entrepreneurial spirit. Prior to Docketly, Brandon worked in the communications and collaboration market on industry-first products like Latitude Meeting Place, Cisco WebEx, Cisco Telepresence, and BlueJeans Video Conferencing. In his current role, he is responsible for defining the company's vision and leading through our continued growth and success. Docketly was recognized as the number 204 fastest-growing private company in Inc. Magazine. Brandon's daily objectives entail the technical leadership of Docket Lee's service, building a great team and company culture, and providing Docket Lee's customers with an amazing experience, which I know you're going to deliver today to us as well, Brandon. Welcome to Integrate and Ignite. Thanks, Lori. Glad to be here. Well, I'm glad to have you. So you've got quite a technical background there. Tell us a little bit more about your journey and what landed you at Docket Lee. Sure. Yeah, I've been doing software development my whole life. It's kind of my thing. I was one of those kids always in his room programming his computer, stuff like that. And then when I realized you could go to college to do that, I thought, really? They pay you to do this? So um, <laughs> I did that, got a degree in computer engineering from Purdue University, and then uh, made my way out to Silicon Valley where I worked for a bunch of different companies that you know the names of like Intel and Cisco and stuff like that and uh, kind of learned the ropes out there. But uh, always wanted to get back to what I had always done was, was writing software and working with customers directly on a smaller scale. And so I uh, started a couple companies myself and then this latest one, Docketly. Uh, we started here in Longmont, Colorado about eight years ago. It's a legal services business. Uh, it's not something anybody day-to-day has ever heard of. It's kind of a niche and uh, we're kind of doing great things over there. So explain the niche to us because you really are fulfilling an incredible customer need out there. Yeah, we are. This I, I didn't know this even existed before I got into this market. My partner and co-founder was an attorney. And so you obviously have sort of a subject matter expert there. And he brought me in because he showed me that um, there was a real lack in this market. And what Uh, The basic problem is, is that most people are used to attorneys kind of hiring an attorney. Attorney goes to your court case and, you know, argues it and stuff like that and uh, works with the client. What actually happens in um, very large types of law firms and operations where hearings are much more procedural is attorneys themselves who are uh, working those cases often don't go to court. They'll have hundreds of hearings on a given day around the state of Colorado and they can't be in all those places at once. And so what they do is they hire what's commonly referred to as a stand-in appearance or a stand-in attorney or a per diem attorney. Someone like a, it lines up nicely with this sort of substitute teacher model at school. Ah, um, I've got the vision. Thank you. (laughs) Where you you bring somebody in, they kind of run your class and you gave them the lesson plan. They they can go off script a little bit here with their own this and that, but you know, basically they're carrying out your objectives and the next day you step back in and that teacher's back in place. Same thing here with the law firms. They have lots of cases. They give you all the paperwork, all the instructions, all the documents. You go in, plead the case, come back out, file a report, you're kind of done. So what we do with that is we take that on a nationwide scale. We have a network of 10,000 attorneys across the United States that are sort of available at our fingertips. Nowadays, it's almost a... 
we didn't, this didn't exist when we started, but it's very Uber-like in the sense that all those attorneys are armed with our mobile app and they're constantly on call with us. And when they want to pick up jobs, like Uber drivers want to pick up rides, they go and do that, show up at court, do their work, report their results, that sort of thing. I and love so it. It's a very interesting way to sort of commoditize and build a technology platform around scheduling. All of these different places people have to be. On top of that, we really take over the whole scheduling aspect for a law firm. So they have their own attorneys that they have to send to court. They have things that are called of counsel attorneys. Those are ones that work for them, but sort of on the side, they have relationships with other firms and we do all the work with them to schedule that entire thing to make sure that they're logistically have all their bases covered, all the right places, all the right times, because it's kind of bad if you have a court case and you miss it, your court case can get dismissed, your file can get thrown out, you might not actually collect the money you're going after, you know, stuff like that. So all that rests on our shoulders every day. And we're doing thousands of those across 3,281 counties in the United States. Wow. Every day. I love it. Did you graduating from uh, Purdue, you know, many, many moons ago, did you ever dream you'd know so much about the legal industry? No, <laughs> um, it really wasn't a, a thing. You know, before this, I worked in the medical field for a while and we did software. That's Set me up a little bit for this where we took and installed software at all the hospitals in the nation and had them right. report results back to us and then we kind of gave them a report card and this was kind of the beginning of outcomes-based healthcare in the United States where people were comparing their facility against the one down the road and going you know why are our patients not doing so well with recovery versus the patients down the street and it was you know the types of programs they were on the medications efficacy of the surgeries they had all these kinds of things so this right. is kind of a Another version of sort of a nationwide network of people putting in data and data coming back to people in my mind. And I think it's probably worth noting the subject matter when you are in court is not incredibly difficult. For the most part, it's collections that you are representing, correct? We do a lot of that stuff. Yeah, these aren't murder trials right. or, you know, huge multi-week patent disputes, things like that. In the United States, there's trillions of dollars every year that are passed around through collections. People don't pay their credit cards. People get their homes foreclosed on, you know, lots of things. And and banks have to go and try to collect that money. And to be honest, it ties up a lot of the courts. There's a lot of procedure to that. You know, you file judgments, things like that. Shockingly for most people, about 85% of the time, the defendants, meaning the debtors, don't even show up to these hearings in the United States. They're hard to track down, find and get them to come to court and get them to settle. And then you go and guarantee their wages or their bank, stuff like that. But that's all very procedural for the most part. That's why these hearings, in a sense, are a little bit easier than, like I said, those multi-week patent infringement trials or things like that that you read about on the news. Now, you simplify something that could be incredibly complex, uh, which is obviously the niche here and what is very important. I'm astounded by, you know, you've, you've got these big, big companies that you've worked with. You know, you mentioned a couple of Cisco, you know, Cisco WebEx. I mean, just a lot of different large companies. And then you've got these very nimble entrepreneurial startups that you have been involved in and founded. What is the difference between that startup mentality, that entrepreneurial mentality versus working in the large, large business? And what attracted you to finally you know, building your own business at this point in time? It obviously depends on the companies. And even though those companies that you mentioned are very large and have, you know, fully entrenched product lines, 
you can imagine there's constantly different incubator type things going on within those companies to change something, get into a new market, you know, find that new thing. At Cisco, it was basically ongoing competitions to find the next billion dollar business. B is a big word, but when you have a customer base that says, why does somebody like Cisco? And you find something that they all need and you inject that into that system, all of a sudden all those people buy it. You, know, right. you already had the customers. It's just about selling them more stuff. So it was easy to sort of scale there and you had the infrastructure to do it. The, the, well, and they allow, they allow that entrepreneurial spirit. It's obvious that you have it, right? So they allow that thinking, which a lot of companies don't always grasp onto, the entrepreneurialism, quite frankly, that many of them depend on to make sure that what they're doing is relevant and innovative. They do. And, you know, it's one of those things because you kind of ultimately sort of hand off your baby at that level to this bigger monster and that's fine but if you're kind of an all-in all guy to like i am that kind of stinks you want to like take it you know from cradle to the grave you know the entire yeah. way and uh, it's fun to feel all the highs and lows and deal with the customers day to day at some of those large companies it's really hard for engineers to get in touch with customers because it's so there's so many walls and gates in between either right. you know, resellers or sales support, you know, all these levels until you can get there. But me, I can just call up customers every day or take site visits and learn lots of stuff and come back and tell my team how, oh, we're doing that all wrong. Here's what I just learned, you know? So it's right. super fun to be more entrepreneurial because you can just work the entire spectrum yourself. So the baby's now yours. How do you define your entrepreneurial spirit? Really for me, at like Dockily, one of the things I tell people during interviews is this place is all about change and it's almost change for the sake of change, but you, you get good things out of that. When people interview, I tell them if you know you want a place where you're kind of going to come to work and expect what you're going to do sort of from nine to five each day, then probably shouldn't work here. There's other jobs in town that you should go check out. You know, We're mm -hmm. constantly trying to figure out how to put ourselves out of a job. And for some employees, that's slightly off-putting. The reality is there's going to be more stuff to do tomorrow. So let's figure out how not to keep doing this stuff that we're doing today over and over again, but figure out how to innovate and adapt and evolve our systems and our processes so that tomorrow we can solve and have time for, you know, the new exciting challenges that we have and not just keep sort of repeating the playbook of the things that we solved before day in, day out. So I spend a lot of time drilling down with my team to do that. We've basically been able to scale our company from one hearing a day to thousands of hearings a day. That's a couple of dollars to millions of dollars a year in real oh world gosh. terms. Good for you. With only a dozen people. Man, I tell you, there's some ROI there. So let's dive into the, the real approach here. We know that good strategy starts with competitive differentiation and, and positioning and, and messaging. What kind of process have you deployed to develop the message, the position that truly does differentiate and builds top of mind awareness. You know, you mentioned it, you went from two to thousands of cases a day that didn't happen overnight. Talk to us about how you got there. If I had to boil it down in some sense, I, I think it's really was a change in me where I figured out that I needed to listen more. We had consultants tell us this and things like that. And frankly, I've been bad over the years. I, when I got started in some of those other businesses, we kind of knew what we wanted to do and how to do it. Figured when customers wanted to meet with us, they wanted to hear us talk and pitch to them and tell them things because we were so <laughs> smart on this topic, right? So you tell them all these things and that's great. But it turns out that really wasn't true. They wanted to talk. And so when we spent time with them and really listening to their pain points, 
and help them narrate and tell their own story about where their problems were. Writing that stuff down was like gold. It turned out, it, we didn't have to go think of the messaging in some sense. They were telling us these things and laying them out for us as we listened to them and kind of walked them through that journey. Well, that customer-centric approach, when you're really able to understand how the service is benefiting them and why it you know becomes important to their you know day-to-day business process, you know, as you said, that is ultimately when it turns to gold. Were there any, you know, aha moments that you had regarding, my gosh, they're saying it this way, we were saying it another way, we must, you know, travel down this path, knowing that it's the right uh, messaging that's needed to, to create that epiphany? Yeah, we do that. And now we've kind of sort of done that a little more programmatic lately, where, you know, we come up with the the, the new thing or whatever that we're, we're working on or whatever. And we go do the roadshow and, you know, mm. we started out and we understand kind of how to talk to it and ask people about these pain points. But then we're constantly evolving that thing night overnight. And uh, new people that come with us on the show, on the road kind of laugh because they're like, you guys tell the same jokes or it's the same thing, but you tweak it. I'm like, that's exactly what stand-up comedy guys do, right? If you've ever <laughs> been to like three shows in a row for some guy. Oh, I love you know, it. They just continually, well, the laugh wasn't there. Let me amp this up. Let me tone that down, whatever. And so we're doing that on those pitches. But then by the time we get back off the road, we really understand what messaging seems to be resonating with people in person. Then it just becomes a matter of translating it to different outlets that we might want to um, deliver that in. And we've got the luxury today, of course, with, you know, the nimbleness of so many different media types out there to completely test and scale and determine outside of all the one-on-one environments, what's going to pull. Can you talk to us a little bit about the integrated approach that you've deployed between, you know, the, the owned, shared and earned and perhaps even paid media types to build the awareness? Again, you know, ultimately becoming a part of... I'm sure with strong sales teams or sales approaches, the outcome ROI that you have today? Yeah, this one's a little tough because again, with our sort of niche industry, we've actually banged our heads against the wall for many years trying to figure out, you know, which one of those different silos we would use to reach our customers. I mean, everybody comes in and goes, wow, you know, you guys don't have a lot on your Facebook page. Well, you know what? The employees at these law firms actually aren't allowed to use that service during the day. And they tend to be the types of employees that when they go home, they don't want to think about work. Yeah. Social is kind of a big waste of time for us. It's fun from a cheerleading perspective for our own team and community outreach and stuff, but it doesn't reach customers. Mm -hmm. So we started looking through all those different things. Where we really found traction, which is kind of, I think you mentioned was more in that sort of earned model where we found referrals and things like that really being the place that paid for us. And so we really turned that into the marketing machine for us and put a whole program around it where uh, existing customers, you know, are constantly referring other business to us and we compensate them for doing that. We have kind of an interesting business model where the more people that use our service, the cheaper it is for everyone. And so you're Mm -hmm. actually benefiting by telling your mortal enemy competitor across the street, you should use these guys because it drops your prices. And right. That's an interesting twist for people because most people figure out the recipe of their business. We use this tool for our CRM, we use this for uh, this and this for you know our help desk, and that's our sort of recipe. Like we want people to tell this piece of the recipe to everyone else because it benefits them, and we then pay them out in that sense, and it then sort of cuts our value. Uh, cuts our expend on sales commissions and things like that because we're just able to pay people who are customers and that retains them as well as helps us get more folks on board. 
Now, obviously, as you've stated it, the sheer number of customers now is is pretty massive. And then you've got the referral network within it. Um, So sometimes they're paying themselves or or someone else. How do you ensure that the desired brand quality is achieved knowing that there's so many different touch points at this point in time? The way that we do that as a team is we took feedback very seriously from sort of the beginning and not just talking to customers and things like that, but kind of embedding it in everything we do. You know, for a long time when we started, it was, oh, let's run surveys and understand what people are thinking about our brand and all this stuff. And you guys mostly know, like the return rates on those are pretty pathetic. It's not (laughs) worth the effort that you put into it. And I'd love someone to show me how to get a good survey where you get better results. But what we found was like, we kept shrinking things, you know, less is more and we'll get better things. Uh, Finally, we kind of saw some models, and this is kind of becoming a reality in a lot of other places too, where we decided to just show customers very specific questions at interesting points throughout their journey, um, right on our homepage or when they're in the middle of an action and things. And what they do in these uh, surveys, it's a simple question, one phrase like, do you like our customer service? And the only answers they have are three smiley faces, a green one, which is the happy one, Love it. Yeah. Uh, orange one that's kind of neutral and a red one that is a frown. If they click anything other than green, it sets off some flares at our headquarters and we start asking questions. Uh, the fun thing is, and we've sort of added since then, the fact that you can do a little bit of a write-in afterwards, but most of the time people don't write in and they give you a frowny face and it makes us have to go do the homework of, what made this guy mad? And if a right. team does a little bit of discovery and starts reading between the lines, oh, look at this. He had this job. It got screwed up. Then he was mad. Then he sent in a support ticket and we didn't really handle it effectively. And so we figure out what we did wrong and then go fix it. And so taking that feedback you know, to a different level and being really passionate about it, I think is how we try to make sure that our brand stays synonymous with great customer service and when we talk with people or people talk about us to other folks, that's one of the things they're like, these guys have the best technology, they're at the right price, and it's all wrapped in great customer service at the end of the day. Yeah, hey, that's the, the magical model for a reoccurring revenue model uh, that is going to build year over year. There's no doubt about that. Now, can you talk about, um, obviously, you, you talked about the fact that you've tried several different things. What was that aha moment from a marketing standpoint where you finally said, okay, we've got it and here we go? Probably a bunch of different things, but as we looked at what our competitors were doing and were doing those differentiations, we were just sort of heads and tails above the places that they were at. And when customers saw that and then were able to start pitching it back to us and really understanding the value and our pricing, which is sort of unique and all of these newer age things that, you know, to be honest, like people are familiar with that sort of Uber model, the pricing there, you know, people get in Uber all the time now. And you ask anybody getting in one of those, like, well, how much is your ride going to be like when they go to start ordering? And they usually don't know, but they just know it's going to be cheaper and probably faster and a better experience. Right. And And we've gotten people to have those same things said about us. And so they actually don't know what that job's going to cost. They know it's going to be a great price. They know they're going to have us backing them on the customer service. They know it's all going to be done through a great technology platform and all secured. So they sort of stop worrying. And that's kind of an aha moment for us when people kind of got that because that was the vision that you know, we had when we got started. I like it. Now, 
certainly we all have obstacles in business, right? Sometimes they're daily, sometimes they're monthly, sometimes they're annual. It's all about how we work through them. Do you recall a time or you know, a challenging situation that could have devastated or even ruined the business, but you persisted, you made the tough decisions, and now that once difficult situation or, or even memory serves as an invaluable learning ex, uh, experience? Yeah, there's several. And, you know, to be honest, I don't have, and they happen all the time. And so we tried to get ourselves into a mode thinking about the change and everything else that we expect sort of things to happen uh, once, but we don't expect them to happen multiple times. You know, we're uh, constantly repeating this metaphor at work where it's, okay, let's, something bad happened. Let's get the cow out of the ditch. I used to work with a guy who <laughs> grew up on a farm and this was what they'd always say. And then he was like, so then you have to build the fence. And so we're constantly walking around the office going, who's building the fence? And new people are going, what fence are they talking about? Well, I would explain it in orientation. But the idea is, so we spent a lot of money, time, effort, resources solving this one problem to get the cow out of the ditch. Now let's not let it happen again. Because if we do, we wasted all that time and money that we just spent, you know, solving this problem. And so I find that just repeatedly doing that and sort of beating it into the heads of everyone that that's the way we do things uh, really helps us overcome obstacles. So we just expect obstacles to come in every day. We have a process for dealing with them. We have a process for making them not happen again. No big deal. It's kind of business as usual. I said that you shouldn't expect to do the same thing every day, but in sense, solving obstacles and doing that is that piece of the same thing. It's just different stuff. Um, I love that insight that you just uh, shared. And, and again, I think you've really described that entrepreneurial spirit. You know, you just pull yourself back up and continue on down the path, right? Exactly. So, you know, looking at each thing as an opportunity. And so we've, you know, really tried to build that into the fabric of the company um, in other ways too. And, you know, I learned some of this stuff at other places, but, you know, we, we actually don't have customer support at our company. Now we actually have something that's very similar, but called something different and it helps change the mission. We have customer success. Our uh, goal is to get customers on board and successful with the product. Not just, I'll use it when I can and I kind of like it. I mean, we want everyone to be passionate about understanding why this is different, exciting, and they should use this all the time. And if they're not, and they enter one of those neutral faces, we call them up. Well, I just gave you a neutral. Yeah, we don't like that. Like, we need you to do a green or we don't get why you don't get us. So mm -hmm. we are trying to connect here and make sure that we're not just a vendor to you and you're calling us with a problem, we're solving your ticket, sending you home. But we use each of those situations when someone calls in as an opportunity to upsell, to fix the account, to uh, work through other challenges they have. So we're spending time uh, in a programmatic way with customers on an every 90 day cycle customers kind of move through this big board that we have uh, and they're getting, you know, outreach calls like that. We're walking through, you know, things they're not taking advantage of that they could uh, ways they could be saving more money that they're not, you know, stuff like that. So that ultimately they're like, wow, these guys are on the lookout for us. Um, trying to sort of get them to this mantra of, you know, if I spend the same amount of money with this company every month, I should get more value month over month after going forward. Um, or spend less money. So we kind of give them that choice. And we show them all that stuff up front. Graphs on their homepage. Here's your spend. It's going up. It's going down. You know, making sure that all everything's trending right. And so putting the metrics in front of them so that they don't, you know, some, some competitor can't come in and just say, hey, you'll pay less with us. We should, okay, here's our graph on the homepage. Yeah. All of our prices are out here. What again are they promising you? Less? All right, well, what would that look like? Like, mm -hmm. let's deal yeah, with the real value. numbers here. 
yeah, the added value, you, you, you can't compare the two. There's no doubt about it. Now, what one strategy or process have you implemented that or that business owners and their teams could consistently apply every day would compound into big wins for them? The big aha moment for me happened about, oh, geez, man, it's been maybe 20 years now, but in the software world, we started uh, realizing that things weren't really going that well. People were building these sort of huge monolithic projects and with these big waterfall design models and it took several years and by the time you got to the end of that uh, you had built something that nobody wanted and so uh, a whole revolution happened over the years um, called an agile methodology where we build things through iterating on uh, the process and so we're constantly uh, looking at what we can do over a short period of time in iteration we're building that thing we're testing that thing uh, we're retrospecting on that and seeing how customers reacted to that. And then we're going back in. So everything's getting built sort of piece by piece, rung by rung as we're going through. Um, as part of that whole process, you know, one of the big things that teams do is they have uh, daily huddles, stand-ups, scrums. Everybody calls them different things. And all those terms mean slightly different things. But the reality is, you know, it's your team or your functional group getting together uh, every morning or once a day, whatever, for about 15 minutes. Usually people stand to keep... Uh, the, to not don't want to get too to comfortable <laughs> to a dreaded meeting, right? Uh, right? Last person that walks in starts, and so everybody wants to show up on time so that they don't have to be the first one to go. And we go around the room. What did you work on yesterday? What are you working on today? And what are you blocked on? And that really opens up channels of communication across the teams. You start finding weaknesses in the team where people just aren't, you know, pulling their weight and doing things. You find where people are overworked, and you could. Uh, shift resources. You find people that are blocked on things. And as a leader, you're going, man, I would like to unblock that guy to get that thing done. I didn't know you were blocked on that. Um, and as a leader telling the team what I'm doing, there's full transparency of, well, here's what he thinks is important that he's spending his time on today. And how does that dovetail into all the things I'm doing? Um, so that's a really effective, just one piece without adopting all the other stuff that uh, helps teams really communicate on a daily basis. And we have remote employees. So we do that uh, partially via video conference as well. So it's pretty fun. I think that's just fabulous. Now, what do you want to be known for? Yeah, that's a good question. I, uh, for me, to be honest, I hate to say this out loud, even on a podcast, but I'm not like particularly passionate about the legal industry. You know, I, I'm learning about it, all that stuff, but I'm passionate about, you know, solving these huge problems like this and using technology to do it. That gets me excited. And it could be for this industry or a different industry. I'm, I'm, becoming more familiar and learning all the niches of uh, all, all the stuff that happens here. But I, I kind of like that throwing, you know, massive amounts of technology and software at problems and reducing sort of the, the human labor involved with all of that and making it much more efficient. But if it was really, but that's not really me, but um, if it was sort of one thing, I'd kind of talk more about really creating a fun place to work. Like that, that means a lot to me. And that's what I was trying to get at is, we could be doing, you know, legal or medical or financial software or whatever, but uh, I really enjoy having the fact that we're, you know, coming in every day, we're solving those problems, we're uh, giving everybody a fun and challenging workplace. Everybody tells me at the end of the day, like, this isn't one of those jobs where you come and stare at the clock and wait for it to be five o'clock. It's almost the reverse. Oh, shoot. You know, the clock's counting down. I to five or six o'clock. <laughs> I got so much more to do. And the time just flies for the day because we're just always busy with different sets of challenges. And you have to use your brain and work through those. I'm not here to hire, you know, tons of button pushers. I can write software that can push buttons for us. You know, I need 
smart people that want to come in and solve hard problems every day. And when we kind of have that going and there's a buzz with that, that gets me excited. So uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Brendan Fuller, we've so enjoyed your discussion today. I love uh, something that you said earlier on. We expect things to happen once. Let's get the cow out of the ditch and build a fence. Thank you so much for your appearance on the Integrate and Ignite podcast. Thanks, Lori. This episode is complete, but the inspiration has just begun. Head over to avocetcommunications.com for show notes and more aha moments. Tune in regularly to ignite your integrated business and marketing strategies with Lori Jones and the Integrate and Ignite podcast.